Good morning, Redemption. My name is Tim Morrow. I'm a member here. Today's reading is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. This is God's word for us today. Thank you, Tim. Well, good. It's so good to be here. And uh, as we get ready to look to God's word here together, let's, let's pray together now, if you would join me. Father, we do thank you for this morning. It's a morning we have in many ways looked forward to for a number of weeks. And God, we pray that above all else, you would be honored in it. That we would even from this passage catch a glimpse of the glory of your son, Jesus Christ, and that it would radically change our lives, uh, our church together, God, and everything. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, when my wife Carrie and I bought our first home, the backyard had this like concrete patio, and the previous owner of the house had a bunch of pots, I guess, laid out on this patio. So there's these rings there, and it was dirty. It just really bugged me. So I went to Home Depot, and I rented a pressure washer. Uh, and I had, I had never used one of these things before at this point. So I got home. I set it all up. I turned it on. And it was a lot of fun, I have to tell you. Um, I really enjoyed it. Um, I was at work, but eventually I realized that the, the spray coming out of this spray gun, it was really narrow, and so it was only cleaning like small little strips at a time, and so as I kept working, the, it actually wasn't doing much at all. It, was, it just looked really streaky, and it looked really bad, and so you know how these things go. I tried to read the instructions for like a minute, right? <laughs> Uh, and then I started to kind of play around and look for some dial or something on the, on the base of it. No luck. And so I just, kept, I just kept going. I did the best I could to clean this whole patio. I was kind of like just going like this the whole time. And it was still looking streaky. And then as, as I sat there sweaty and exhausted, kind of looking across this patio at this pressure washer, I, I saw something and it dawned on me. I think the nozzle at the end of that gun can turn. <laughs> I think it can turn, and it could turn. It could turn, and so I powered the thing back up. I turned that nozzle, it fixed the spray, it went like this. I cleaned the whole patio in five minutes. <laughs> and the truth is, I learned something very important that day. And it's that having the right equipment, so to speak, and even the time to use that equipment is not all that counts. Uh, how we do the work we're doing really matters. 
Uh, We can have everything we need or we think we need on paper and then still go about our work in the wrong way. And the result of this is often that our work will lack power or just won't go very well in the end. And the same is true for us as a church. Uh, Who we are and what we do, these two things we've considered the last two weeks, these are crucial, but they're not the only things we need to consider in our values as a church. How we do the ministry that we do also really matters. What is the spiritual quality of it? Uh, What kind of power do we really need in order for this ministry to go well, and how do we tap into that power? And particularly um, as we start this new chapter in a new building, in a new community, I I think this will be especially important for us to weigh and to discern. And so today we're going to look at this passage together from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, And in this, Paul is writing this letter to a church that was very attracted to prestige and power and status. Very attracted. And and Paul was actually the first one who came to originally preach the gospel there and to plant this church. But since then, many of the members of this church had discovered other more impressive spiritual leaders. And meanwhile, Paul was sort of poor all the time. He was constantly in and out of prison. He just didn't seem like the most successful leader that they could follow. And so many in this church came to reject Paul and sort of move on to other leaders in the church. And so Paul is writing this letter in large part to tell them, no, 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 you guys, (laughs) you have misunderstood our ministry. He's telling them in this letter, our ministry... Is, is not about earthly prestige and status. It's about something much bigger and better than that. True gospel ministry, he's saying in this letter, is about God's power being revealed through our weakness. This is how it works, is what he's saying. And that's not a bad thing, he's, his point is. In fact, it's a very good thing. It's a glorious thing. And so just before our passage today, back in chapter 3, If you look back with me, uh, Paul was making that point, and he was doing it by comparing his ministry to the ministry of Moses. And in particular, he's talking about a story from the book of Exodus in which Moses encounters God on Mount Sinai. He receives the Ten Commandments written on stone tablets, and he comes down that mountain, and he didn't realize this, but when he came down, because of this interaction with God, his face was shining with a beaming light because of the glory of God that he just encountered. And apparently, this light shone so bright in his face, they had to cover his face with a veil. When he, when he came back down, they just thought, like, I can't even look at you, Moses. I have to cover your face with a veil. So here's what Paul says about this in chapter 3, leading into our passage in verse 7. If you grab your Bible and look with me, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7, Paul says this. He says, now if the ministry of death carved in letters of stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. In other words, he's saying, listen, if you thought Moses' ministry was a big deal, listen, my ministry... 
This ministry of preaching the gospel and making disciples and multiplying churches, that ministry is a way, way bigger deal. There is more glory in my ministry than in his. And here's why. He tells us in verse 18 of chapter 3, he says, We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into this same glory from one degree of glory to the next. The glory of God has been shining out now for all of us to see in the person of Jesus Christ. And Moses is saying here, or sorry, Paul is saying, Listen, Moses got to talk with God on Mount Sinai, and his face shone with such glory, they had to cover it with a veil. In our case, we have beheld the glory of God with unveiled faces. And not only that, but we're being transformed into that glory from one degree to the next ourselves. We're becoming like this glorious God and his son, Jesus Christ. You see this? So, so Paul is comparing his ministry with the ministry of Moses, and he's been saying up to this point, this is a way, way bigger deal than that, okay? Then here in chapter 4, he says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, and then he spends the rest of the time in this passage explaining how he does his ministry and why it really, really matters that he does it that way. So let's dive in. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, Paul says, Having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Now, this gives us a glimpse into maybe why the Corinthians were so tempted to resist Paul's way of doing things, and that is namely because it was really hard. It it, it was draining. It's a kind of ministry that you could easily lose heart doing, especially if you do it the wrong way or if you have the wrong perspective. And then Paul starts here by explaining how he does not do ministry. Look with me at verse 2. He says, we do not lose heart, but, he says, we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And I think this gives us a glimpse into some of the unique temptations that the church in Corinthians were facing at the time, in Corinth was facing at the time. Uh, Not only were they tempted to lose heart because of the way Paul was doing his ministry, more than that, they were tempted to adjust the way that they did ministry in order to make life easier for themselves. Paul's basically saying, no, 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 no. We don't do that in the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, we, We don't get to write this message that we preach at the center of our ministry. It has been written already and revealed to us by God himself. Uh, We don't tamper with the message. We just open our mouths to tell people what God has said. And and really the point, the gist of what he's saying here is, listen, you go right ahead and inspect my ministry all you want. Pick it up, look underneath it, sniff it, whatever you need to do. I have nothing to hide, nothing. You shouldn't either because this is really not about me This is really not about us at all. Next, he even says, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord. With ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. This is so important, church, for how 
we do ministry. If there's one verse I could just stamp on our church to say, guys, do, let's do it this way. This might be it right here. What we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for his sake. We have one message. That's it. It's this gospel of Jesus Christ. The message belongs to God himself. We do not mess with it. We preach it clearly and openly, and then we get out of the way to serve one another for his sake. Now, it's not hard to see that Paul is very committed to this method of doing ministry. He doesn't just see this as one of many options. If someone came along and said, but Paul, have you heard of the seeker-sensitive thing? He's like, no. Like, this is how we do this. But, of course, anytime you commit to a particular method like this and you broadcast it, so publicly, of course, you open yourself up to all kinds of scrutiny. And you do. Okay, Paul, some might say, but what if people don't like this message? What if they resist it? What if they hate what it is you're doing? What will you do then? It's exactly what he addresses next in verse 3. If our gospel is veiled, he says. This is a reference back to Moses with the veil, right? He's saying, basically, if, if some people just don't see the glory of what we're doing, if there's some barrier blocking it from their sight, in this case, he says, if our gospel is veiled to that group of people, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In other words, he's saying, listen, let, let's not allow people who reject our ministry to determine how we go about it. This is probably not the best focus group. For your ministry strategy, he's basically saying, don't forget why some people reject this message. In their case, he says, the God of this world, that is Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. This is so important. We don't get to decide who sees the light. This is a spiritual thing. And if someone, people hate our message, if they even persecute us because of how clearly we proclaim it, this does not mean there's something wrong with the message. It does not mean we're doing it wrong in any way at all. In, in a way, this is how it works. Notice in Paul's mind, there are just spiritual factors and forces at play in his ministry he has no control over. Uh, he cannot guarantee that his ministry will go well in an earthly sense or even that it's a failure if, if people reject him for it. He expects this to happen. Some will receive it. Some will reject it. And when they do reject it, he doesn't take responsibility for that. More importantly, he doesn't lose heart as a result of it or let it change the way he does ministry because he is not the one who makes his ministry happen at all. God is the one who is doing this. Look with me at verse six. He says next, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness. That is the God of Genesis chapter one. The one who said, let there be light, and then there was. That God has shown in our hearts, Paul says, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In other words, the reason Paul kept preaching this one message, the, regardless of who received or rejected it, the reason he carried on and did not change his method is because he himself had seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 
This was deeply personal for Paul. This was not just a, a discussion about a philosophy of ministry. No, he could not deny the truthfulness of this message. He would not, under any circumstances, alter the content of it. He felt he had no liberty to even adjust the way he went about ministry because God himself had revealed the glory of Christ to him. We have to remember that this is coming from a man, the Apostle Paul, who saw the resurrected Christ on the road to Damascus. This is Acts chapter 9, his conversion story. Jesus appeared to Paul as he's going to persecute churches, actually. He appeared to him in glory from above as an extravagant light, and it changed his life eternally. And in that story, if you go back and read it, it's really interesting. Not everyone saw the light, <laughs> but he actually was blinded by the light for three days. And so in, in light of that, just consider Paul is saying here, basically, look, I didn't just see Moses's face after he talked with God. No, I saw the face of God himself, and he is this resurrected man, Jesus Christ. So listen, I'm sorry, if you're not nuts about my ministry, if you're just not picking up what we're putting down here with this gospel, I'm sorry, I don't really care, he's saying. I don't really care, because you may not see the glory of it. Some people may not see the glory of it. That's fine, but I have. I've seen it. Church, I want us to see that to know this resurrected Christ, to gaze upon his face, if you will, it is to see the glory of the eternal God. All of the power for our ministry is found there. This is what Paul had experienced and this is what drove him in his ministry and kept him going in it. I want you to notice, it's not just that he figured out all the complicated mysteries of life. It's not just that he decided one day he wanted to start get his act together and start being spiritual. It's because God had made his glory known to Paul, much like he had with Moses, but this time he showed up to look Paul in the face. And this is what we want to see God do in the life of our ministry, to show up and reveal his glory. And here's where this entire passage comes together. Next, Paul tells us the real reason it is so important to go about our ministry in this way. After this incredible description, right, of, of God's work to reveal his glory through his son, Jesus Christ, look with me at verse 8. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. That is, he, of course, the treasure of the gospel he's been talking about. He's talking about the treasure of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We have that treasure in jars of clay. Now, in, in context, or sorry, in this day, I should say, a jar of clay would have been a very commonplace household item. Um, clay was not a particularly luxurious material. Uh, people would have had these jars of clay laying all over their house. They probably dropped them. They broke all the time. And when they did, you just swept them up and you moved on with your life, right? The modern-day equivalent might be a piece of Tupperware, for example, okay? Or, or maybe one of those grocery bags, the plastic ones you bring home, scrunch into a ball, and use to pick up the dog's poop on a walk, right? That's the kind of thing we're talking about here. This is not the kind of container you show off if you're trying to impress someone. And the point is this, the gospel is our treasure. 
the glory of God revealed in the face of Jesus Christ is our treasure. And listen very carefully. What we put that treasure in really matters. It really matters. We do not put it in a bedazzled trunk wrapped in gold and lined with rubies and emeralds. No, we put it in jars of clay. Now, obviously, in context, Paul is the jar of clay he's talking about here. We are the jars of clay he's referring to. Our church, its ministry, this building, they're all jars of clay, if you will, in this illustration. Paul is talking about our earthly lives, Christians, churches, their ministries, as if we are containers that the gospel goes inside of. And here's the whole point. The container is not the point. The treasure in the container is the point. And if anything, the weaker the container, the more obvious the glory of the treasure I, I want you to picture, you, you're pulling out of the parking lot today, there's a guy walking down Greenfield Avenue with one of those see-through Walgreens grocery bags filled with cash. You see him, what's your first thought? First, okay, wow, right? Second, whose cash is that, and where did this guy get it, right? Because if he actually had all that money, he probably wouldn't be walking around with it in a grocery bag, right? It's the same idea here. Church, here's why it is so important for us to go about ministry in this way. Here is why we keep this treasure in jars of clay. It is to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. When faithful Christian ministry, when gospel work is going well, it often looks and feels like suffering and hardship, actually. It does not look like some impressive, powerful enterprise at all. And this is kind of the point. We need to go about ministry in such a way that when people do see the power of what we're doing here, they think, okay, that's clearly not coming from them. Look at these people, right? They're nothing. So we don't just need to, to give God the credit for what we do. No, we need to get out of the way entirely. We need to be willing even to suffer and sacrifice for the sake of this gospel so that no one would ever dream of giving us any credit. Because anyone who sees the glory of what we're doing here can only have one appropriate response, and that is to fall on their face and to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the response we're after. That is the goal of our ministry, and so this is how we need to do it, church. Let's put God's power on display, not ours. This is how we do it. And we cannot do both. Uh, we do have to decide, are we trying to show people our glory here, or are we trying to show them his? And what I want to do for the rest of our time is just to apply what we see here in this passage with three marks of a church that puts God's power on display and not, not their own. And these are all basically phrased in a call to action for us, as, in to say, as if to say, let's do ministry this way, right? Here's the first mark, ready? First call to action, let's showcase the treasure of the gospel. Let's showcase it. Let's hold it up high for all to see. Uh, over these past three months, as, I, as you've seen in the prayer this morning, it's been incredible to see this church come together. 
and to turn this whole barn into a beautiful and functional space for ministry, for worship and disciple making. I've seen, we've seen people's gifts come to the surface in ways I couldn't imagine, really. And, and also, it's really kind of cool, like when you rent from an old Lutheran church and you have an office kind of tucked in the back, nobody comes and visits you. You know, I just noticed this. But when you have a building and people are buzzing around, like they come, they help, they see each other, they connect. It's been fantastic. I will always remember this winter. I will always treasure what uh, God has been doing and the ways he's been at work here. But we have to remember this. If this Jesus did not really come and really die and really rise from the dead, uh, if that message of redemption does not burst out of this building and everything that we do in this building, we have all just wasted enormous sums of our time, energy, and money. Church, if we do not showcase the treasure of, of this gospel above all else here in Brookfield, we have just purchased and built ourselves an idol. And it is so important for us to have this perspective in ministry. Um, our church began just uh, almost four years ago uh, with a handful of friends uh, talking, singing, and praying about this same resurrected God man and his message in, in, again, the meeting room of an old Lutheran church's quilting ministry. So we were constantly surrounded by like scraps of little cloth material and at least five paintings of Norwegian Jesus um, and, and a whole bunch of teddy bears for some reason. I, I, I still, I, in four years, I never thought to ask what the teddy bears were about. I don't, I still don't know. But, but here's the point. Back then, Redemption Church was, was not much of a jar. Right? We, we had four or five families with tons of babies and toddlers. How's that going to work? And, and, and a few single people and this message. And, and if you were looking for a nice, impressive church that had everything all together, uh, trust me, this was not for you. And I know that because many people told me that uh, in, the, in, the, in the first year or two. A lot has changed since then. A lot has changed. Um, we now have an elder council. We've had a number of deacons. We're hoping to appoint two more even just next Sunday. Uh, the staff is starting to grow. We have 14 small groups, including uh, some for students now, which is exciting. And, and, and if things continue to progress and grow in the, in the way that God has been at work, by the end of this year, we may even have up to 150 members, maybe even more in just four years. Honestly, most things have changed since 2000. In 19, but church, this is so important. This one thing has not changed and it can never change. The jar is still not the point. Praise God for what He's doing here. I think it's fantastic, it's a lot of fun. This is so important. What we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for His sake. And so please um, don't leave here today thinking. Hey, they did a really great job renovating that barn. Wow. Did you see that cross in the lobby? It looks just like the cross on the website, right? <laughs> and it is kind of cool, I have to say, right? I mean, it is. And <laughs> my wife did that. I'm really proud of her. But listen, that's not the point, okay? That's not the point. We want you to leave here today thinking, whoa, <laughs> these people really, really care about this whole death and resurrection of Jesus thing almost as if it changes everything. You know, 
they almost gave me the impression that if I keep coming to this church, I'm going to have to decide what I believe about this death and resurrection thing and maybe even change the way I live my life. Yes, absolutely. You're picking up exactly what we're putting down. Uh, But Danny, you know, lots of people think this whole historic Christianity thing, the Bible, all this stuff is really antiquated. It's kind of irrelevant. Oh, yeah, we know. We know that. It's kind of how it's always worked. They always find a way <laughs> to disbelieve. Okay, but, but what if in a few months I just decide, you know, I, I, don't, I just don't believe all this stuff. I'm just not into it. Well, then in a few months you will have no use for our church or anything we do. Really? And, and you're like, okay with that? Absolutely. Wouldn't have it any other way. Uh, listen, we love you. We want to get to know you. We want to walk as patiently as we possibly can with you, help you consider what you believe, and, and walk with you in patience and love. Absolutely. Let's go to a Brewers game, whatever we need to do. But at a certain point, if you don't treasure the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, we don't really have anything for you here. He is the treasure we have to share above all else. The rest of this is just the jar. So these days, it's not uncommon for Christians to think, often well-intentioned, but, well, listen, let's not start with all this doctrine stuff. Sin, judgment, atonement, repentance, faith. Listen, these are like really, really hard cells these days. You understand that, Danny? I mean, Let's just be really, really nice. Let's offer some attractive religious goods and services. Let's help people belong, right, before they believe. And then, I don't know, we'll just see if all that doctrine stuff comes later. We have a very simple answer to this at Redemption. No. No. (laughs) Absolutely not. Emphatically, no, even. We refuse to do it that way, and here's why. Because we have renounced to disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Church, we do not need to hide the treasure of the gospel, sort of slow play it. My goodness. As Paul says in Romans 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So if we want people to experience God's power, we need to showcase this message. We need to make the good news of Jesus Christ the crown jewel of our church and all that it does. But here's the problem. It will always be very tempting for us to showcase other things. And for that reason, let's not just showcase the treasure of the gospel. Next, let's also downplay the jars that we keep it in. Don't worry about that stuff, right? This is so important. Church, it is so easy, especially these days, to do ministry in a way that turns down the volume of Jesus Christ and turns up the volume of ourselves and our style. This is just kind of how modern people operate. And frankly, we just have to admit, including us, okay, Even as committed Christians, we are a product of our time as well. We all want to express ourselves. And we tend to see institutions, even like churches, as a stage where we can perform. And to be honest, some churches 
understand this and, frankly, have catered their entire ministry to it. Uh, these days, especially in our tradition even, uh, it is very common for churches to showcase all of their impressive ministry programs, all of their strategic accomplishments, all of their organizational prowess. We take great pride in being part of a well-run organization with a good reputation in the community and lots of impressive, talented people doing all kinds of great things. Uh, we really want to know who is where on the org chart and we want to kind of understand how we can maybe make a move or two along the way. We want the best youth group for our kids and the best small group ministry, the best worship experience for our tastes, and the best visionary pastors with tons of style and charisma. Whatever will set us apart, right, from all these other churches, of course, and make it crystal clear to everyone, they know how to do ministry, these people. That is an impressive church. And you know what? In one sense, albeit in a carnal, earthly, organizational sense, this actually works very well. You can easily grow a big, impressive nonprofit these days increasingly by saying things like, hey, we've got Republican jars over here. We've got Republican jars over here. Or, oh, we're not like those Christians. We have enlightened, progressive jars over here. I want you to see there's, there's nothing spiritual about this at all. We, we don't need the power of God to do that in any way. And the point is this, the treasure of this gospel will never shine forth at all if we stuff it in our big impressive trunks and try and convince everybody our trunk's better than theirs. Trunk. And so if you haven't noticed this already, chances are you probably will very soon. But the truth is, we don't really do a ton of things at Redemption Church. Just a few. Um, our church, our approach to ministry is very simple. It's very straightforward. We meet for worship every Sunday. We preach God's word. We respond, the Lord's Supper, baptism. We do quarterly members gatherings to welcome new people into following Jesus with us as a member of the body. Uh, we host, um, sorry, we, we host membership classes to do that. Then we meet quarterly as members to welcome those new members and do a number of other things. We've got some small groups, now some for students, and we do children's ministry on Sunday morning. Beyond that, we might do an event here or there, maybe a seminar. That's about it. Most of the other work in the life of our church is done over coffee, uh, at dinner, just connecting, reading the Bible, praying together, walking together in Christ. But, but now that we have this building, I imagine it may be very tempting for us to think, just imagine all the stuff that we can do. Let's start a bunch of new ministries. Let, let's get the newspapers here. Let's make a big splash in Brookfield. Redemption Church is here, everybody. Come and look at these jars. I want you to see that the understated simplicity of our church is not an accident. It's very much on purpose. And it's not because we've just been a startup church or because we haven't had a building either. It's because we want to keep the treasure of the gospel in jars of clay. We don't want to bury it in some big elaborate trunk under a mountain of all of our ideas and strategies. We want our ministry to be incredibly simple. Let's keep it simple. Let's even downplay what it is that we do here in the life of this church so that everyone can see whose power we do it by.
And finally, if we want to put God's power on display, then when our ministry gets hard, which it will, number three, let's press on with humility and gratitude. Uh, these last four years, I have to say, have been really incredible for, for me, for our family. Um, we've gone through some difficult stuff, including a global pandemic. That was not very fun. But by far, the joys have outweighed the sorrows. And I thank God for that. I really do. Uh, the truth is, it's really hard to say what the next four years will be like. In many ways, we just don't have any control over this. Uh, will we plant another church? If so, when? Where? Who will stay? Who will go? Uh, will, we, will we add a larger sanctuary onto this building? If so, how much will it cost? What will it look like? When will we do it? Uh, if we do both of those things, if we plant a church and add a sanctuary, in what order will we do them? Why will we do them in that order? How will we decide what order we will do them in? What if some of us feel strongly one way and some the others? What will the next staff position be? And who will be hired to fill it? And why? What color will the outside of this barn be someday? <laughs> you know, uh, we're thinking it's going to be like a deep navy blue, to be honest. That, that, um, we're, that's where we're going. Just keep it blue. It's a little darker. Anyways, the rest of these questions, I will say, we do not have answers to today. We just don't know. But this I can say with great confidence. Uh, at some point, we will all be tempted to think, my jar used to seem like a bigger deal at Redemption Church. I, I used to be kind of at the center of it all, and, and look, now there's all these other jars, and some of them are really talented jars, and if this happens or if that happens, I, I don't know, my jar might not matter as much anymore here, but when we all feel this way, which we likely all will at some point and to some degree, here's what we need to do. We need to take our eyes off of the jar, get our eyes onto the treasure, and we need to press on together. And listen, here is the key to pressing on in this way. Here is the key to our church not losing heart. We have to remember this, and we have to remind one another of it often. Church, we have this ministry by the mercy of God. None of us has any business even knowing this resurrected God-man. My goodness. All of us should be floored every week that we can walk in this building and worship this God in this way. Uh, we don't deserve a seat at his table. Uh, we, we don't deserve a share in his inheritance. Jesus is the only son who deserves these things, and yet here we are, redeemed in his name. Here we are proclaiming that he is Lord. Here we are serving one another for his sakes. Church, the life and ministry of our church together it is not a burden for us to carry or a stage for us to perform on. We have this life and this ministry together by the mercy of God. And here's what I pray that would translate to in each of our Christian lives and in our church as a whole. I pray that it would translate to longevity, to endurance, to perseverance 
for the long haul. Let's not give it all we've got for a few years, get annoyed with each other, and then go find other churches. Let's not just kind of dip our toe in the water, kind of keep one another at arm's length so it doesn't get too hard here, no. <laughs> Let's show up each week to showcase the treasure of this gospel. Let's serve one another sacrificially for the sake of Christ, and when it gets hard, which it will, let's press on with humility and gratitude because there is no jar here today that deserves to carry this treasure. There never will be. And frankly, church, that is the entire point.